the canine condition. Come, sit, stay. Welcome to season two of the Canine Condition Podcast. I am your host, Jackie Pignol. Each episode is a conversation with a trustworthy dog rescue organization or animal welfare advocate that will leave you inspired and empowered. This is the why, where, and how to adopt or help a canine family member. The goal is to save homeless dogs and set you up for success with information and resources to raise and keep a healthy and well-balanced dog. Embark on this journey with me, and let's save humans' best friend together. Do you ever make donations online to a cause or to an organization that means a lot to you? I do. And the biggest thing for me is that I have to know I can trust the organization and see that my money is actually going where they say it's going. When it comes to animal rescue and advocacy, it's crucial that organizations show us the results of their donors' trust in them. I am sure you, like me, want transparency. My guest on the podcast today is Bridget Bowie, the Director of Content and Social Media of Cuddly. Cuddly is an organization that enables animal rescue groups to create fundraisers and wish lists to support the animals in their care. Through Cuddly, animal lovers can purchase and give in a modern, transparent way. With 3,000 animal welfare organizations on board and growing, Cuddly's mission is to help save as many animals globally through community, innovation, and creativity. As a for-good startup, they believe animals often rescue us and that it is our obligation to support those who do not have a voice. You may have seen the Cuddly logo on social media or attached to fundraisers by some of your favorite rescues. Today, we are going to get the scoop on what Cuddly is all about. Welcome to the Canine Condition Podcast, Bridget. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes. Oh, good, good. I know you're a podcaster yourself, and we're going to get to that in this conversation. So, But let's start off with you telling me a little bit about how you got started with Cuddly, why you felt compelled to be a part of this wonderful organization. Yeah, um, that's actually a story I haven't told a lot of, so it is interesting. So back in 2014... Cuddly was just getting started and I, I'm employee number three. So they were just getting underway. Personally, I, um, actually went through a personal loss of my own. Um, I lost my sister in 2014 and I kind of got this idea that I think a lot of rescuers have of like, the world is so hard and I'm going to do something to make it better. Yes. And that's where I was looking around. I had worked in um, editorial. I was working for a quarterly magazine at the time, and a friend was working at Cuddly. And that's where I was introduced. And I said to myself, I can take my storytelling and I can sit, help save these animals' lives and really turn this around and do something good with my talents. Um, so that's that's how I came to Cuddly. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. And do you have dogs or cats of your own and uh, other pets? So I say I'm a I'm a serial foster. Um, I don't have <laughs> personal animals. So I can always have fosters coming in and out of my house and there's not another personality they have to get used to besides me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. And of course, we all need the organizations to have more fosters. So the fact that you open up your home to that is wonderful. And tell us how did the organization get started? I know it got started by a gentleman named John Hussey, and there's a quite a charming story behind why he calls the organization Cuddly. Can you share that with us? 
Absolutely. Um, so our CEO, John Hussey, um, is definitely what I would consider a manly man. Um, he's <laughs> actually an NFL referee. Um, so definitely you see him on TV every Sunday. But he, I think he has a, a story that pertains to a lot of animal welfare and our relationship with animals. Because growing up, he always had animals, but they slept in the garage or they were outside animals. And that's how his relationship really was. But um, as time progressed, and I think we all have felt this ourselves, where your personal animals really become a part of your family. And so it doesn't make sense that they would be outside. They, they You bring them inside. And certainly, I think nowadays, more so, they're almost more a part of our family than some family members. So he was bringing his, his dog, uh, Benji, inside. And more and more, this like sweet little terrier Benji just kept winning him over. He's like the most perfect dog you've ever met. A rescue? Yeah, he's a rescue. But he's just, and I don't know if it's just the nature of rescues where they tend to be so well behaved. The number of dogs I've seen that are just naughty are like, I feel like the rescues are always the ones who just sit there and have the best manners. <laughs> right. They're so grateful to be rescued. I mean, yeah, they, they maybe go through manners class or something when they're <laughs> waiting for a home. But um, so little Benji um, actually ended up winning over John in such a big way um, that now he curls up in John's bed every night. So more than just uh, a part of the family, he's like his his personal sidekick. And it's amazing. This this dog just like is a little cheerleader for John all the time. If he walks into a room, you you see the dog's eyes light up and it's a, it's a really lovely bond. So, I know John's as manly as he is, he also is is of the mind that everyone should be cuddly. <laughs> so, that's where I think um we're really working to to change that and so that everyone is. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's really great. Especially, like you said, coming with somebody that has that presence and that appearance, you don't always associate the word cuddly with someone like that. So the fact that he champions that really makes me a huge fan of his. So I want to tell you how I found out about cuddly and let my listeners know. I stumbled upon a fundraiser on one of the other dog rescues that I support and that I like to, you know, send money to when I can and when I see a campaign. But the fundraiser for that rescue, it was in 2019, early 2019, said cuddly on it. And I wasn't sure what that meant. So at first I'm like, what is that? And when I looked into it, it was, oh, we're, you know, if you donate to cuddly for our fundraiser, we get the money to help save this dog. And that was my first experience. And then, you know, it's like you see one thing and all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. I started to see the cuddly name behind a lot of the organizations that I was getting to know through my documentary journey and planning for the podcast. So one of the aspects I wanted to address is that people sometimes are hesitant to donate. They don't know where their money's going or they want to see the outcome of that contribution. Tell us how cuddly helps bring more transparency so that donors can know that their contributions are actually going to those dogs in need. Absolutely. I mean, this is something that is so important to us um, and really was the crux of a lot of the tools we created and a lot of the processes that we have. Um, so first, I would say what 
I really love about Cuddly is we verify every organization that we work with. That means we look into their tax documents, we confirm their EIN status. So every animal rescue that you see on the site is going to be one that has been checked by hand in a lot of cases. So we'll start there um, because there is a a pretty solid process for the IRS to verify these rescues. um, And I know they have to report a lot of things. um, So that's very important to us. Additionally, and this is something that we've really developed into is we work really personally with a lot of our rescues. So we actually know them by name. We have their cell phone numbers um, and A lot of times they're in the middle of the field grabbing a dog and before they're even calling their vet, they're calling us because they know that that vet bill is going to be really high and they need their community. They need to rally support. And that's where we're basically on call to our rescue partners so that we can help promote and support them, especially online donations. I think there's a a lot of distrust there and I don't blame anyone. (laughs) I would be distrustful too. What's great about Cuddly is we don't take any portion of any monetary donation. And that's why you'll see rescues loving to work with us. I do, actually. I see it. I see a lot of them wanting to run their fundraisers through Cuddly. That's why I got so curious and wanted to bring this episode to my listeners to find out what this collaboration is about because it's all positive. Right. I mean, it's it's so important to us to support a lot of the rescues we work with are small and medium size and they don't have a staff that's able to do all these things and so for us we know those are the the change makers in communities and we want to be able to be by their side when they're growing when they're creating their first facility when they're doing all these amazing things and it's such an honor to be able to watch them grow so that's where i mean our personal relationship not taking any fees we additionally do support them like with dollars. I mean, people say, put your money where your mouth is. We, we push their fundraisers out so that they can um, be introduced to new individuals and they can reach new audiences because a lot of the rescues they're in rural places in the United States and they don't have the reach. I mean, everyone in their community is suffering the same plight that they are, especially during COVID. I think we saw a lot of people who were like, my whole community is out of work right now. Um, they don't have money to donate to an animal rescue. So that's where we were able to help and say, listen, there are a lot of people on the East coast, on the West coast that want to support those small rescues and make a big change so that as a country and as a world, we're really saving more animals. That's wonderful. I love to hear that because you're right now with the power of social media, with the click of a button on your phone, computer, any device, really, we can help. And that's how my journey started. My journey started in Georgia and I live in Los Angeles. But I saw a Facebook post and to anyone who watches the documentary series that uh, was just released, we just released our first season, you can see that it was all through social media, connecting with people that I've never met before, but we all had one common goal. We needed to save those dogs. We needed to advocate for them. So it's beautiful that Cuddly does that. And, you know, now that you mention around the world, you guys are an organization that does help outside the United States, right? You help dogs in need anywhere and everywhere. How does that happen outside of of the United States? Is it the same? Is it organizations as well? Individuals who can't become an organization but clearly need help. Could you give us a little background on that? Absolutely. Yeah. We actually have a 
a lot of wonderful organizations that do have a verified nonprofit status in the United States, but they have a heart and a mission to help animals overseas and in different places where there aren't the kind of laws that we have to protect animals. Um, and there are like are rampant street dogs with really terrible ailments and injuries that would force them to be not even euthanized because in a lot of countries euthanizing a dog is illegal actually. Um, but they would just be suffering on the street because of their injuries. So I know, um, I love name dropping, so I'm going to name drop. Uh, we work with stray dog support and they're an amazing organization that they work with a lot of people overseas and in Asia, Thailand, in a lot of different locations. And they take in and save these animals that you would not believe that they are going to make it and thrive, but they make those miracles happen. It's incredible. And you know, now that you say that, I have another thought. <laughs> I've seen posts, you know, sometimes they can be quite graphic. You guys do warn, you know, anyone clicking through them, hey, graphic content so that you can decide to look or not look. I caught myself looking at one last week. I have to tell you that really, and I've seen a lot. There's there's nowadays very little that shocks me, but this one was just visual because the dog had cancerous tumors all over its skin. It was really difficult for me personally to take in. Others might find other cases difficult, right? But some people will comment and say, why put this dog through more torture? Why not, you know, put it out of its misery, you know, humanely euthanize? What is the decision-making point? How do you decide this dog needs to have a chance. We need to provide that chance or no, this dog, we need to let it go because that's the most humane thing to do. Right. I think that's a decision that's very personal to our rescuers. Um, and that's where we really stand beside them um, and behind them in their decisions that they make. Um, it's a question that we've posed to a lot of them on my podcast. Um, oh, good. But also intimately with it when, in our conversations with them, because when you are looking at a photo or looking at a video, it can feel hopeless a lot of times. And depending on lighting and different things, you get a certain emotion and you get a snapshot of what this animal is going through. But when it comes to these rescuers, I mean, they are the ones that see the animal's will to live, to thrive. And I think that's something that they've all said to us is if the animal can't make it, can't bring itself to eat or can't bring itself to, to continue on, they will be the ones that say, yes, I will give you the most humane, like end of life care with love and attention. And you'll be in someone who loves you's arms. But in so many cases, these animals as terrible as their injuries are, and as devastating as their diseases are, they are still wagging their tail. They're still so excited to continue on. And that's where a lot of these rescuers say, no, if this animal is willing to fight, I'm going to help them. And we're going to fight this together. Oh, I love that. I know it's so hard to see. Um, yeah, but I think for us too, it's a lot of bringing attention to what animal rescuers deal with every day. I mean, we're seeing a photo and it feels like a lot, but they're the ones taking those photos. They're the ones who found these animals on the street and they're the ones who are smelling, feeling everything going on with this animal. So I think it's more about honoring their experience as well as the animals for us. And truly, I mean, they must be consulting their vets, you know, vets who say, hey, no, I can, I can help. I can give this dog a fighting chance, right? They do, absolutely. But we also, like I said, have had a lot of miracles where a vet will say, listen, I'm not sure that this animal will make it. And the animal has the will to live. And so 
we're able to push through like really revolutionary treatments that then they can say, well, we saved that dog that time. Let's try again with this dog. Everything feels impossible until you've done it. (laughs) So we're really proud that so many of them are able to make these cases for, for saving animals life. And in so many cases, I mean, they turn around and they're winding up in homes that I mean, the two of us would be lucky to be in. I mean, some of these adopters, I'm like, adopt me, please. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's kind of like those rags to riches stories, you know, and it just warms my heart. So, and you know, I'm glad that you talk about saving dogs in other countries because of the lack of laws. Um, I, myself at the canine condition, focus on the United States, you know, I'm trying to make a small difference from my community to my city, to my state, to my country, right, right now. But if it bleeds over into the world, then I guess what I get from you is you're saying we have to impact the rest of the world in a positive way or help them because they don't have sometimes the support or the laws that we are lucky to have, even though, my goodness, we have so much room for improvement here. And yet, can you imagine that other countries are worse off than us in this arena? Absolutely. And it is so inspiring to hear about these rescuers who barely, like overseas, some of them barely have food to feed themselves, but they're taking time out of their day to go help community dogs so that they have food to eat as well. Um, And when you think about no one, no one is photographing these people. They're not doing it for any sort of gain on their own. They're taking it upon themselves to do something and take out of their own lives to give to these animals. So I feel like that's something that we can all appreciate and admire. Definitely. And tell me, you know, besides the actual donation that people can donate money, I happen to have seen a campaign several months ago, and there was a wish list. So just like all the rescues have wish lists and you can buy items, you guys also put wish lists together per dog for their specific needs. Tell us about some of the choices that people have when wanting to donate to a fundraiser if they don't want to send cash. Absolutely. There are so many different options that they can make when it comes to products. And it's really so inspiring. I think the number one thing that I love about the products, I I think, is what we already talked about. Online donations and donations to a charity. A lot of times you hear these staggering figures about large organizations whose budget is entirely devoted to admin costs. um, And That's what I love about these products. When you select one of these products, that exact product is not just going to the rescue, it's going to specifically that animal and that animal's home. So a lot of our organizations are foster-based, and so we're able to deliver these products directly to that foster's home so that this animal is getting exactly what they need in that moment. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it does, I think, give that sense of confidence also, it's so thrilling to see an update and you see a collar that someone's donated on that animal and you see the food that they're enjoying because a bunch of people came together and said, you have been hungry for so long and I want to be sure you're never hungry again. It's really amazing. And I think that's what's really fulfilling about this as well is you can not only know that your donation is going to these animals, but you can see it. You can see these photos of the animal enjoying the products you've donated. Yes, I think making it more tangible, I mean, at least for me, it increases my confidence in that, oh, I am actually helping, you know, because now with 
we're, we just have so much coming at us every day. And social media is bombarded with not just, you know, things that are asking for help, but, you know, ads and buy this and buy that. So it can get overwhelming. And it's nice to be able to at least narrow it down and know, hey, if I give to this foundation, this foundation helps a bunch of other rescues so I can actually extend my reach. That's what I, I love about this idea. And really, I love that Cuddly is bringing in more partners and, and helping out so many different ones because we might want to go specifically and help an international dog or a dog in our state or, you know, somewhere where we grew up, but we might not live there anymore and there might be a dog in need. So all those stories, just I, I love, love them. And I love that you guys do this weekly. Don't you do a weekly update on social media with all the dogs? Tell us about that. I really enjoy seeing those. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the one thing we always get asked for. I mean, because if anyone who's donated, I feel like you want an instant update and you want an hourly update on that animal because, I mean, things do change hourly, especially in the world of rescue. So we've taken a little time out of our week um, just to take a pause pause and there's my pun uh, for the day <laughs> um no but um That's cute. we have a lot of viral campaigns so we take a moment for pe- for those campaigns that a lot of people are all interested in hearing updates and will take from the rescuer's mouth exactly what they have to say about how an animal is progressing and again we're very transparent. So sometimes it's not always the brightest and happiest stories. I know the dog that you were referring to earlier, we're all really heartbroken on the team that that dog actually passed um, in the past week. And that's something that we talk about. I mean, and so we can all mourn together. Um, experience, I think, what a lot of the rescuers have to deal with is loss, but also celebrate those amazing moments of joy that feel, I think, so small to a rescuer where a dog wags its tail for the first time or uh, takes its first steps. I know we have a dog that actually one of our team members is actually fostering from um, dog testing. It was in a lab experiment, lived in a cage its whole life for five years. And so is it a beagle? It is a beagle. Unfortunately, Mm. I know it's so heartbreaking. I had Beagle Freedom Project on the podcast last season and learned so much about why we need to advocate for these dogs that, that, you know, our lab test. That's actually who we're, who our team member is fostering the dog from. <laughs> oh, that's great. But it's amazing because our community is so excited about this dog and together we're all celebrating this dog's first. So it's first walk. It's first time tr- learning what a treat is. These moments are, are so amazing. And to help this dog learn how to become a dog again is so incredible. Additionally, I will say, I I know there are so many stories and you can feel so overwhelming on our platform sometimes. And I feel the same way. I mean, I've been doing this for years, but sometimes it feels like too much. Um, And that's where we actually have a a special program as well, where weekly we distribute funds that are collected um, through monthly donors called the Cuddly Club. And we take funds from animals who are not receiving as much support as they need. Um, And it's all very timely. And we distribute the funds for people who have a hard time making the decision on their own. So that's another um, really special program that we're really proud of. And we're able to do just incredible things with it, um, including like buy pricey wheelchairs that maybe one person couldn't have donated as well as sponsor different transport flights, saving tens of animals at a time. So, right. 
Oh, that's so cool. You guys are really venturing out. Are there any plans for 2022? Um, How is the new year looking for Cuddly? Is this something you're always having to look for new things to do and expand? Or do you feel like it's a well-oiled machine and we will keep going the way we're going? I mean, I think our fundraising is is a well-oiled machine. I mean, we're just always looking to help partners. But we do have special projects that we're always looking because, I mean, there is such a great need in animal welfare. So like I said, we're, we're very interested in helping um, with a lot of more transports. So um, we've actually been sponsoring monthly flights from two different pilots on the east and west coast over the past year. So that's been incredible. Additionally, though, we've actually uh, partnered with American Pets Alive, and we've sponsored a van that has been transporting animals for the better half of the year. And so they've saved around 510 animals with that van. Um, And so since it's it's been going so well, we're actually going to um, be sponsoring a branded van so that people can follow along with American Pets Alive as they transport animals, as well as we're also um, giving a van to one of our rescue partners, Second Chance uh, Rescue NYC. They do a lot of transport efforts as well. Yes, they do. <laughs> we all, we had um, Second Chance New York City on our podcast last season too, and they do amazing work. They're incredible. I mean, they're so inspiring and we've left them for a long time. So we're so excited to put this tool in their hands and to be able to follow along on these animals journeys as they move from the South up North where people are anxiously awaiting a chance to adopt an animal. So, Right. Are there any plans you think, or has it come up at all in discussions at meetings to help support any spay and neuter programs or to evolve the idea of spay and neuter in those states or communities where all of these homeless dogs actually come from? Yeah. I mean, it's something that we talk about a lot, um, especially with our rescue partners, because I think those are the programs that are not as visual and they're not the ones that get a lot of attention, but they are so sorely needed. So I think for us, we we do a lot to really promote them on an individual level with different communities. I know so many organizations have programs where they're really targeting that. I know it was so hard though during COVID because there was not a big option. Um, you couldn't bring animals anywhere. They were just... Vets weren't even taking them in. Uh, except for emergency surgeries or different things. So I think uh, it's another thing I admire so much about rescues. So many of them pivoted and they found mobile situations where they were able to convert um, vans and use those for mobile TNR efforts. So they were able to really meet their community how, how as much as they could in that moment. I'm so excited to watch those programs grow now that we we have a little less uh, boundaries and barriers <laughs> to it. Yes. So yes. I think that's going to be something that we, we're all really championing in 2022. Awesome. And I, I love that because, you know, you mentioned something that I had heard one of our other rescues in the podcast say is that they had the hardest time raising funds for spay and neuter clinics. But if they had a medical case, you know, a dog in their arms is bleeding and suffering, Obviously, people are donating left and right to that dog. But when they're saying, hey, help us with spay and neuter so we can prevent us getting to that point where we're picking up a dog that got hit by a car and has no home. And there's just something maybe in the visual or it just doesn't connect with humans on an emotional level. Maybe until you're in it, because for me, spay and neuter is where it's at. I will donate to spay and neuter events all day long. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because that's the source of the problem of overpopulation at this point. 
Right. And I know for us, we see so much of the other end of not even um, just injuries of animals who are pervasive in areas and getting injured because of that. Um, But we see a lot of the medical ailments that happen because an animal has an infection because they were never spayed and neutered or um, complications because of a pregnancy. I know one of our fundraisers right now um, for a dog named Bessie, um, and actually she gave birth to the largest recorded dog litter in U.S. history. What? This poor angel baby gave birth to 23 puppies. Oh, my God. I just got the chills everywhere. I know. 23 puppies? That's like two litters. It was heartbreaking. And honestly, her body has been through so much because of it. I can't believe as many survived as they did. I mean, I think it was something like 17 of them survived. Wow. What breed or what makes is she possibly? She's Pitbull. <laughs> oh my goodness, my heart. And she had so many complications because of that surgery. Actually, it was an amazing rec- rescue effort because two pilots came together to get her to a rescue that could support her. And we're so proud to be able to partner with larger organizations that get her a little bit more attention. We're partnered with Dogs of Instagram right now, who's promoting her because um, she deserves everything. I mean, 23 puppies. Bessie is her name? Bessie. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So if, if our listeners go to your site, will they see posts about Bessie and campaigns about her? Absolutely. And we're posting updates all the time so you can watch as the puppies grow. This sweet girl has like, you can just tell, like the perfect mother temperament, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but but yeah, we're, that's where, I mean, this didn't need to happen in Bessie's case. Um, this is something that she had to put up with. And I think it's going to be a bright new future for her moving forward because she has this wonderful rescue now by her side. And she, of course, will be spayed and neutered and find a home dedicated to just pampering her. <laughs> Oh, good. I know the mama dogs really get me. You know, I adopted one that had had puppies in Georgia as a stray. And whenever I look at her, I just think like, oh, my gosh, my girl, how did she go through this? You know, Um, somebody brought up on my podcast last season that it's not like the mama dogs are like human moms where we just can't wait to give birth and and nurture and, and watch our little ones grow. I mean, it's really hard on these female dogs. And now, like you said, there was 23 puppies a handful of them don't even make it. And now there's 17 homes that need to be found and 17 dogs that need to be fully vetted. And 17 families have to be dedicated for the life of those dogs. So it's just, when you think of the numbers, it's it just makes me mad a little bit. I have to, I have to be honest with you <laughs> because it could have been prevented. It absolutely could have. I mean, and for us, uh, it's something that we're always encouraging our rescues and then trying to find unique ways to to make those fundraisers really engaging. Um, and I think too, stories like Bessie's are so important because that gives a face to, to these situations and why spay and neuter is so important. So that's where we're always trying to really bring these stories and give them more attention. Um, because I mean, it's, it's the faces like Bessie that I think make that real for a lot of people. Yes. And you know what I love is that Cuddly makes it tangible. So if I get on Bessie's 
fundraiser or on the, the posts that she's, I'm sure she now has a wish list. And, you know, <laughs> so for the new year, if anyone wants to be a part of that journey and gift her or her puppies, have at it, people. I encourage you to visit Cuddly and be a part of Bessie's journey or any of the other doggies on their site because they all need us. You know what I noticed, too, on your website is that you have quite an extensive team. I mean, you have you are covered. You have all the bases covered, which I so love. And it's no wonder you can give support to all the other organizations and the smaller rescues. What does it take to get involved or be a part of your organization? Is that something that people, if they're interested out there, can reach out to Cuddly and inquire? Yeah, I mean, we are so lucky because we're one of the organizations that really thrived during COVID. I mean, when I first started, we were three people basically working in a closet. So wow, it's really amazing to watch as everything has grown um, based out of need, of course, based out of the needs of our rescue partners. So we've really more than doubled over the past um, years since COVID. And we're really hopeful that in this new year, people won't forget about animals. I think a lot of people had that sense during COVID where they were adopting, they were fostering. And I think that was a nice introduction for a lot of people to understand what animal welfare is, but they had a rosy picture of it. So I would encourage everyone not to forget about animal welfare. You can always reach out to us and follow us on LinkedIn if you want to get involved. I mean, it's something we really are interested now that we can bring together a community to bring people together in a more physical form. Right. Now that, you know, we're having to take off the red tape a little bit more and we're all safer and, you know, hopefully vaccinated, we can at least mingle with people. And and yeah, that teamwork. I mean, obviously, you guys did incredible work remotely. I mean, the fact that it just kept going and increased the awareness and the help. But imagine how much more you'll be able to do now that things are, you know, coming back to normal. So that's really great. And I wanted to ask you also, you started a podcast (laughs) from tip to tail. And I love it. I've listened to a couple of the uh, episodes recently and I've subscribed. So I encourage our listeners to also subscribe to tip to tail. Tell us about some of the topics that you're addressing and why you felt it was necessary or why what compelled you to say we we must start this podcast right i mean for so many years now we've like i said chatted with rescuers and we they cry they call us on the phone and crying and telling us what they're going through telling us their plights and you find out these little stories about these amazing individuals who by all means are not getting paid they are making the choice to step out of their comfort zone and do these amazing things. So we really wanted to highlight them. But more than that, I think we started it during COVID because we saw there was a big need for people to understand how how to change their processes and so how they could an- rescue animals in a new world, in this COVID world. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for, as a group, animal rescuers to come together and learn from each other. So many of them, I mean, are a little bit disjointed. Like I said, they could be in a rural area. Also, I feel like there is that level of competition that exists between certain rescuers. And we wanted to dissolve that because there is more than enough room for all of us. (laughs) There are so many animals that need to be saved and we don't have time to fight each other. We've got to fight for the animals instead. Um, And I think that's something that we've really seen grow out of this is that sense of community between rescuers, the chance to understand what another rescue's mission is so that they can connect, potentially transport animals, or just learn from each other when it comes to medical situations. Because as I said, 
So much of what they do is really innovative and they're saving animals at the front lines really. And I think there's a chance if we come together to save animals in a grand scale. Right. And, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't have to have these podcasts about this topic? Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to watch people, you know, go through so much heartache and hardship just to save the animals? So if that's truly rescuers' goals, then they should really, like you said, work together and be a team to truly find hopefully an end to this problem. I don't know if I'm being unrealistic, but I feel like we can. It might take a generation, but we can. We can do it, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think especially on social media, I mean, that's my day-to-day job is working on social media. So you see a lot of real rough words, I think, too, and a lot of judgment. So I think also being able to put people's stories out there and explain, hi, I'm not just a rescuer. I'm also a teacher. I'm someone that has my kids involved in my rescue. And when you're judging and saying that I'm a scam or or saying that I'm not in this for the animals, you're attacking a real person. So I think that's something we always want to put in the forefront too, is these aren't just anonymous organizations, an ominous like a corporation. These are people. These are sometimes one in two people. And I think they need the support from all of us. I agree. I agree. And I, I learned that on my documentary journey. I started my documentary just, it wasn't planned. It was like, you know, one event leads you to another. Something doesn't let you sleep. An event, your own dog adoption drives you to do something. And and then I'm, like you said, you meet these wonderful people. And, you know, the episode that opens the documentary is Deep South Canine Rescue. Two ladies in a rural part of Georgia wanting to save the dogs of their town because there's no animal control or shelter in their town. I had to find out what that was all about, you know what I mean? So I thank you so much for bringing that to light, for supporting the cause, for cuddly getting involved with opening all of our eyes to where we can help and how we can support more um, organizations. And I wanted to ask you one last thing. So if people want to adopt the dogs in your fundraisers or through your social media, they all belong to organizations, right? They're not adopting them from Cuddly, but they can reach out to you to inquire about that? Yeah. So we always encourage people to reach out directly to the organizations. Everyone has a little bit of a different uh, adoption process. We are trying to change that in 2022. We want to streamline that to make it a little bit easier because... That is something that we've heard from a lot of adopters. It is really hard to adopt an animal a lot of times. And we want to make it easier because there are a lot of animals that need to be saved still. And so having that barrier to adoption is a real problem. Um, So we always encourage them to reach out to the rescue for now. Coming soon, people will be able to adopt potentially a cuddly animal um, directly from the organization because we do know that so many people, because there has been so much visibility with these fundraisers, that they fall in love with these animals and they donate to them one and two times even. Um, So we've heard of numerous stories of people who fall in love with an animal through cuddly and eventually adopt them. We love those stories. I live for those stories. (laughs) Yeah. Especially it's, it's incredible. Sometimes they haven't even met these animal and they will travel across the country uh, to meet the animal so that they can adopt them. It's really inspiring. And we're so proud of our community that really has such a heart for these animals. Oh, that's really cool. And, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there's the 
there's the side. I hear two sides of the story. It's really hard to adopt, and you know, I'm not getting my application. That my application is not getting looked at, or I don't get emails back. And then I hear the story of the organizations are like, you know, I just can't trust that this is the right home for this dog or the right family, and they are so overwhelmed that they can't respond to every applicant. So there's, you're right. There's something going on in the communication to try and tie loose ends is really important. So it's a great way maybe for Cuddly to be that that middleman to make sure the homes are great, the families are prepared for that specific dog, and that the rescues can trust, hey, this is the right adopter and the adopter can have a chance at, at having a doggy. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that we're really pushing for as well is that equitable adoption. Um, I think there are a lot of stereotypes and judgments that people face when they're submitting an application or they're coming in based on what they look like or based on their economic background. And so that's really, really hard. And I think that's where you see some real struggles when it comes to puppy mills, because those people are going to adopt a dog or they're going to um, take in a new family pet one way or the other. If you're going to get give them a rescue dog, then that's great. Otherwise, they're going to find it somewhere else. And that's really heartbreaking. And that's really fueling a really terrible side of the, the pet business um, and a lot of tr- uh, really bad, <laughs> bad problems. Yeah, yeah, that opens up a whole other can of worms. So if we want to try and prevent these potential adopters from going to the pet stores and the breeders and the puppy mills. So I absolutely agree. And and thank you for, you know, continuing your work on that, because I think we'll need more of that. And, um, you know, we all just have to help each other to make things transparent and to let families know that if they do face hardship after the initial adoption, that they can come back to the organization and ask for help so they can keep their pet. And I learned that through this podcast. Some organizations make it their mission to make sure every family can keep their pet. And that's a big deal because then we can adopt more of them out and not keep them out of fear that the family won't be able to afford it or fully vet them because the family will always know, hey, we are here to support you no matter what, no judgment. Absolutely. That's such an excellent point. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us on that note where people can find and follow Cuddly and support your mission. Absolutely. So you can find us at cuddly.com and you can find so many amazing rescue organizations there as well. Additionally, you can find us on all social medias at We Love Cuddly. And lastly, our podcast is From Tip to Tail. You can also find us if you just search Cuddly. So Awesome. I love that. And just for our listeners to hear it from you, you know, I mentioned what you do for the organization or your title, but do you want to just give us a little brief rundown of what your position entitles you to and what you have to do through your day? given that you are in charge of social media. Yeah, I'm very honored to be in the position that I am. I um, am the the director of content and social media, which means I run um, the social media accounts. I I have a, I would say a team, but it's a one gal. So (laughs) we're not as big as we look. But you do a lot. You guys are, you know, small but mighty. Absolutely. No, so um, social media, I'm also um, lucky enough to be able to highlight a lot of our stories by making video content. Um, So we're so grateful to our rescuers who have come out with us. You may see us on your TV screens. Um, We have some commercials out there with a few of the rescues that we really appreciate. And then additionally, uh, email, (laughs) a lot of other things it's the uh the downside of being with a company for for as long as you have is i have a lot of hats that i wear and i love them at this point so i'm a a big hat girl 
That's awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Bridget. I know that, you know, you're quite busy and you have a lot of, like you said, if you're wearing a lot of hats, you've got people pulling at you from all directions. So I so appreciate your time in bringing the cuddly message to the Canine Condition Podcast. And I will have the live links in the show notes so anyone can find and follow Cuddly with one easy click. Our listeners should also know that I am not getting paid to advocate for any one individual or organization on this podcast. I choose to interview guests from organizations that I know are doing the good work for dogs and for people across America, and in this case, around the world. Thank you so much, Bridget, for your time. Have a wonderful and safe 2022, and here's to saving and healing a lot of dogs. Thank you. I am always so inspired and happy to have these conversations because I feel like I walk away knowing more incredible people in the world. I hope I have helped you find yet another way to give back to an organization you can trust and also know that you can be an active participant in the journey of any dog you choose to help through Cuddly. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Please press subscribe on our podcast and tell your dog-loving friends about it. Until next time. Hang on to those leashes. The canine condition. Come, sit, stay. <laughs>